big news, because we had so much fun at our last live show, we're doing it again. That's right. We're going live again, but this time we're going to the Ripped Bodice in Brooklyn, which is an absolute dream come true of a location. This show is going to be part of a larger romance festival being put on by Fish Market Theater Company. And I'll give you details about all of the awesome events that they'll have going on that weekend soon. But for now, head on over to the ticket link in the show notes and get your tickets for our performance, which will be on March 9th at 7.15 p.m. Eastern Time. We don't have streaming set up quite yet, but we're working on it because we know a lot of you aren't in New York. But if you are or if you can get here, we hope that you'll get your tickets and come join us because it's going to be a blast. Hey, everyone. We hope you're as excited as we are for our final book episode before we move on to the universe of Pride and Prejudice related content. We have so much exciting stuff planned for you in the coming months. But first, we wanted to celebrate finishing the book. So on Wednesday, July 29th, that's tomorrow if you're listening to this on the day it drops, we will be going live on Instagram at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We'll be talking about the book, the podcast, our process, and answering any questions you may have. So head on over to Instagram, follow us at Pod and Prejudice, and tune in on July 29th at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Okay, now enjoy this week's episode covering the finale, chapters 17 to 19 of Volume the Third of Pride and Prejudice. So you ready? I'm so ready. All right. I just screamed. <laughs> I'm so ready. Here we go. This is Becca. This is Molly. We're here to talk about Jane Austen. Specifically, we are here to talk about the end of my my first ever Jane Austen book. I had never read one before now, and now I truly don't know how I'm going to introduce the show to people because now I've read one. We're going to say that Molly's making her way through the Austen canon, which she is, but now Molly has officially read a whole Jane Austen novel. I have read one entire book and I'm so thrilled. She has read one pride and one prejudice. Smashed together into the classic novel. Pride, pride and prejudice, prejudice by Jane Austen. Colin Firth. <laughs> so how are you feeling, Molly? How are you doing? I'm honestly, I just, I feel like I accomplished something. I feel like we're going to get into this, but I was a little underwhelmed with the ending of this book because we had kind of already had the exciting things happen. This was really just tying up loose ends, but I, you know, it was truly a happy ending. But what I will say is that, you know, as we are going and editing our backlogged episodes and I'm typing notes for the episode that's releasing this week and all this stuff... And when the listeners hear this, obviously, those will have already been released. But I'm like listening back to my old predictions and like thinking about how wrong I was about some stuff. Like I really thought Wickham was going to come back. And I thought that he and Lydia were, I thought Wickham was seeking revenge on someone. And like none of that came to fruition, really. Yeah, basically, uh, I said at the very beginning of this podcast that at its core, Pride and Prejudice is a romantic comedy. Yeah. And it ends... Basically, as any romantic comedy would end. With the montage of where are they now? <laughs> uh, an epilogue of sorts, if you yeah, will. Yeah, and, and it's a happy ending. Nothing bad ended up happening. Nobody died. Mr. Bennett was not murdered. You were really worried <laughs> Mr. Bennett was going to die. For a while there at the beginning, I really was. You were. You were. So let's not keep our listeners waiting too much more because now is the series finale of Pride and Prejudice on Pod and Prejudice. Woo! To be clear, listeners, this isn't the finale to our first season because we still have to do all of the Pride and Prejudice movie adaptations. But this is the final book episode of season one of Pod and Prejudice. Yes, we are dividing our seasons up by title. So all of the Pride and Prejudices. We have a lot more of season one to do because the amount of times Pride and Prejudice has been made into movies. Oh my God, I cannot wait. Especially I want to see Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. Oh, that's going to be excellent. We're going we're gonna to have a lot of fun. There's so much content out there and we're going to get there when we talk about this. But first, we actually have to finish the book for our listeners. So where we left off in the story last time is that Lizzie and Darcy kind of confess their feels to each other. Which I guess means they're engaged now. It does. Molly was really upset. She wanted them to make out. Yeah, I have to say I texted. I was texting my group chat from college last night and I was like, I finished Pride and Prejudice, blah, 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 blah. And I was talking about how there was no kissing and someone was like, what? Like, what? Jane Austen, how dare you? And here's what I said this is how I summed up romance in this time. It's kind of like 
I like you. Do you like me? I like you very much. I'll get your father's permission tomorrow. That's basically it. It's like the summary of the last chapter. And underneath that is the pulsating tension between Lizzie and Darcy that makes him want to grab her boobs. Grab her boobs. But Jane Austen can't write, and then he grabbed her boobs. She could have. I just don't know if it would have gotten as far. The magic of Jane Austen's writing is how badly you wanted those two to kiss. It's like an urge to see them finally consummate this sexual tension, which means that Jane Austen, without writing so much as a hand touch during a dance, was able to convey to us a deep and profound connection between two human beings without them physically touching. And that's kind of what makes her special, but also makes her frustrating because we want to see them make out. We want to see them make out so bad. But does that make sense? Yes, it does. So that's where we are in the books now. Do you want to get straight into it, Malls? Yeah, let's get into it. So Lizzie and Darcy have been on this walk together talking about all their feelings. And Lizzie's gone for quite some time. She comes back and she comes into the room and everyone is like, where can you possibly have been for the last however many hours walking with that man? And she says that they had wandered till she was beyond her own knowledge, which I really liked as a, uh, a nice double meaning there. She's just way out of her depth with all of this love stuff. Yeah, they were physically and psychologically lost in each other. Ah, oh, beautiful. The rest of the night passes pretty uneventfully. Uh, it's like all of them, including Jane and Bingley who are now the acknowledged lovers who are allowed to be like (laughs) in love and then the unacknowledged lovers Lizzie and Darcy kind of sitting across the room from each other awkwardly now that Darcy knows he can touch Lizzie and he (gasps) can't do it in front of anybody you just know he's sitting there being like he's upset I I just I just want to touch her hair he wants to give her kisses kisses (laughs) I firmly believe that human kisses are kisses and dog kisses are kisses Oh, so you're saying Darcy wants to lick her face or sniff her butt. No, I'm saying Darcy's a puppy dog. (laughs) Keezy. Anyway, Lizzie knows in her mind intellectually that she is very happy, but (laughs) she's too anxious about how her family's going to respond to the match to like actually allow herself to feel happy. Let's take this from Lizzie's family's perspective for a hot second. Uh Rewind to the winter when Lizzie is spending all of her time talking about how much she hates this man. And her whole family is still in the mindset of, lol, that fucking Darcy, am I right? Meanwhile, Lizzie's brain has been slowly but surely becoming obsessed and then in love with Mr. Darcy. So in their brain, it's going to be like, oh, I hate him, I hate him, I hate him. Guys, JK, I'm in love with him and set to marry him. Yeah, I just, yes, that would be surprising were I them. But this whole chapter is very much Lizzie worrying that his wealth will not be enough to change her family's mind about him. I'm like, Lizzie, this whole book is about how much your mom values wealth over literally personality. Well, do you remember that first chapter where basically Mrs. Bennett was like, I don't care how wealthy he is. He is the worst guy who has ever walked the planet. And they hate each other. They really do. But I still think Mrs. Bennett is... I don't think Lizzie has anything to worry about. So that night, she tells Jane. And Jane doesn't know that she's in love with him either. And Jane is like, she just doesn't believe her that they're in love. And Lizzie's response to that was, quote... Perhaps I did not always love him so well as I do now, but in such cases as these, a good memory is unpardonable. This reminds me of me in high school. Every time my boyfriend and I broke up and it was like, we got back together. My friends were like, what are you doing? And I would be like, we can forgive him for that, how he was in the past. Let's live in the present. I used to do a thing where I wouldn't tell certain people if a guy did something wrong to me because I knew that they wouldn't forget it, but I would want to forgive him later. Yeah. And Lizzie's having big old regrets for having told people how she felt about him before. Yeah. This entire chapter is like Lizzie being like, God, why was I so vocal about how much I hated him? Yeah. This could be so much easier if I hadn't done that. Yep. <laughs> and eventually she does convince Jane but Jane asks if like are you sure you're gonna be happy like I believe that you love him are you sure and Lizzie says definitely and Jane says that she would definitely love to have him for her brother but she's just still not sure if Lizzie is for real or if she's gonna change her mind and Lizzie says she loves him even more than she loves Bingley and we all know how great Bingley is so that's saying something and Jane asks Jane asks, since when have you loved him? And Lizzie says that she saw his beautiful gardens and landscaping at Pemberley. Seriously. <laughs> like, there is a tint 
to this story of Lizzie's obsession with Darcy's landscaping and interior design skills. Landscaping. Wink. Wink. I mean, also, like, there is a gold digging tinge to this as well. Because Lizzie's like, oh, he's got a big house. He's got a big house. He's got a nice full library. library. With the hard books and the flowers outside and Mm. Austin After Hours podcast. The return of the Austin After Hours podcast is just ASMR of descriptions of Pemberley. Please subscribe. (laughs) Now Jane really believes her. And she says, in that case, only Lizzie and Bingley will be more dear to her. I did want to point out here, is she ever going to start calling him Charles? Or is she just going to keep calling him Bingley forever? I mean... Mrs. Bennett calls Mr. Bennett Mr. Bennett. Ew. So, like, it's possible. I don't want to give anything away, but one of the movies takes a really strong stance on this with Lizzie and Darcy. Oh my god, does she, does, does Keira Knightley say I refuse to call you Fitzwilliam because that would make my life <laughs> No. Prediction. You'll see. You'll see. <laughs> All right. So, Jane then wishes that Lizzie had told her more about her time at Lambden before, and Lizzie says... The reason I didn't was because of all this. And she tells her what he did for Lydia. And that's a big move. The next day, Mrs. Bennett is shocked to see Mr. Darcy coming again. And she's like, Lizzie, you'll have to occupy him again. Sorry. And Lizzie's Lizzie's like, like, darn. (laughs) Oh, rats. And the boys enter. And Bingley greets Lizzie very warmly. I wrote like a little puppy. And she's pretty sure that he knows everything. You know Bingley's walked up to her and he's like, Lizzie. He's like, Lizzie. Lizzie. Hey. He shakes her hand with both of his hands and he's like, hello. And he gives her like a big old wink and he's like, I know nothing about your life that has changed. (laughs) Huge wink. But then Bingley comes in the most clutch that I've ever seen. I didn't even know that he was capable of being this cool. And he's pretty cool. He's such a bro. He's such a bro. He's like, Mrs. Bennett, is there anywhere else Lizzie can lose her way again today? And then Mrs. Bennett suggests... Oh, yes, Lizzie and Darcy and Kitty can go to Oakham Mount. And Bingley immediately says, that will be too much for Kitty, right, Kitty? And then Kitty's like, yeah, I don't really feel like going out. Ooh, I love Bingley. Also giving more weight to the is Kitty sick conspiracy theory. Is Kitty sick? Is she? Listeners, we need to know. Is Kitty sick? He like turns to her and he's like, oh, I I think that will do just fine for the others, but that will be too much for Kitty. (laughs) Right, Kitty? Wink, wink, Kitty. And Kitty's like, yeah, I'm lazy. Kitty's like, I can't. (laughs) I'm sick. (laughs) It's been a while since we've made a Mean Girls reference. It's like all we referenced in the first few episodes. That's true. Um, So Mrs. Bennett, when Lizzie goes to get dressed, Mrs. Bennett follows her and starts apologizing that she has to spend her time alone with that man. But it's for the best for Jane and all, you know. So Lizzie's like, oh, it's okay. And Lizzie and Darcy go on the walk and they decide on the walk that Darcy's gonna ask for Daddy Bennett's permission that night and Lizzie will ask for her mother's permission and again Lizzie is nervous about Darcy's wealth not being enough to change their mind and she thinks that either way when she tells her mom if she's disgusted or if she's way happy like either way she doesn't want Darcy to witness that event because it's gonna be embarrassing no matter what that's really prudent of Lizzie daddy Bennett is definitely gonna have a better reaction absolutely that night Darcy goes in with her father and she is very anxious but then he comes back out and he's smiling and he tells her to go talk to her dad. So she goes in and his first words are, Lizzie, what are you doing? Are you out of your senses to be accepting this man? Have you not always hated him? And Lizzie wishes at this point that she hadn't been so vocal about her feelings towards him before. But, you know, this is how it is. And <laughs> Daddy Bennett says, she'll certainly be rich and have nice things, but will that make her happy? And Lizzie says, do you have any objection besides thinking that I hate him? And he says he doesn't. He doesn't really love Darcy, but if she likes him, then that's enough for him. This reminds me of the scene where Daddy Bennett didn't make Lizzie marry Mr. Collins because for all of Daddy Bennett's bullshit, I really think that scene sets him apart from some other characters in this book as genuinely caring so much about Lizzie's happiness. And 
It is so sweet here. He's like, yeah, I mean, he's not of a social status where I felt I could refuse him. And you're certainly going to be rich, but are you okay, hun? Are you sure you want to marry him? Exactly. I just want you to be happy. And that is pretty revolutionary for the time. Yeah, it is. And he also, like, after he tells her that, he says that while he did tell Darcy yes, he wants her to think better of it because he's a little bit worried that Lizzie won't be happy or respectable unless she truly esteems her husband and looks up to him as a superior. And I know what he's trying to say here. I really do. Oh, yeah. No, that's a patriarchy moment of yikes. Yeah, because what he wants to say is that she needs a husband who is equal to her. But the way that that comes out in sexist 17th century language Actually, is... Actually, uh, this is 19th century. That's what I meant. It's all good. Um, in sexist 19th century language is that he has to be superior to you. But Darcy and Lizzie, why they're so perfectly matched and we get a little bit of this later is because they are equals and that's why this book is revolutionary for its time. It absolutely is. We'll get there. Yeah, we'll get there. But anyway, Lizzie says that Darcy has loved her for months and his love has withstood the test of time and she has gradually started to love him back. And then Daddy Bennett says, if this is the case, he deserves you. I could not have parted with you, my Lizzie, to anyone less worthy, which is sweet. And then she tells him what Darcy did for Lydia. And this part killed me. I have so many options for funniest quote this week, but this might be one of them. So she tells him what Darcy did for Lydia and he is relieved and he says, it will save me a world of trouble and economy. Had it been your uncle's doing, I must and would have paid him, but these violent young lovers carry everything their own way. I shall offer to pay him tomorrow. He will rant and storm about his love for you and there will be an end of the matter. (laughs) Basically like, oh, good. I'm glad he did it for you because... Now there's no way he'll accept my payment. Yeah, Daddy Bennett's basically like, my plan is to be like, I'll pay you back. And then have Darcy be like, no. Never, not in my honor. For the love of my dear Elizabeth. (laughs) And he gets to be like, okay. Yeah. For love, I guess. Yeah, all for love. Then he laughs for a while about how she had responded when he read Collins' letter to her. And he is chuckling and he's in such a good mood that he's like, if there's anyone courting Kitty or Mary, send them in now. (laughs) Oh, this reminds me, I wanted to bring up Fiddler on the Roof again. Because I know I brought up Fiddler on the roof so many times as a comparison but when tevia first gives his consent for one of his daughters to marry for love the second one comes and asks to him and he's like oh why because just because i gave you a sister permission and blah 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 i feel like this is kind of like that moment where it's like maybe he likes the guy enough that he's like oh fine you can all get married he's just like oh i'm on a roll here because like remember that all of them are basically of marrying age, although Lydia was on the debatable end of that, yikes. But the thing is that, like, remember at the beginning of the book, we have Mrs. Bennet sort of freaking out to marry off all her daughters. Now we have three married off, two very advantageously so. Mm-hmm. And it all happened, like, towards the end of the book. This was all in, like, the last few months. Yeah. So Daddy Bennet is kind of like, I'm on a roll. Yeah, he's pleased with himself. Yeah. Then it is time for Lizzie to ask Mrs. Bennet. And at first, Mrs. Bennett cannot speak. And then, as I predicted, she does a 180. <laughs> and she's like, Lord bless me, how rich and great you will be. Jane's marriage is nothing to this. What a charming man. So handsome. So tall. <laughs> the amount of emphasis on Darcy's height. He a tall boy. He's so tall. And she's like, hoping that he's going to forgive her for how rude he's been. And then she reminds herself, 10000 a year, oh my. She wants him to be married by a special license, which is a special permission by the bishop, which is basically expediting marriage for rich people, which is in stark contrast to how Lydia wanted to expedite her marriage, which was by elopement. And Lizzie's like, oh, mom, yeah, she- we're actually thinking of getting married by a judge. It's just not our thing. No, no. We're going to do a drive through. We just wanted a small, simple ceremony. No, Lizzie's just basically like, oh, God, mom, no. No, calm down. And she's really glad that Darcy was not there to witness it. And then she watches Daddy Bennett getting to know Darcy. And then Daddy Bennett has another fire line where he says, that he loves all of his son-in-laws equally, but Wickham is his favorite. <laughs> I love all of my son-in-laws equally. I don't care for Wickham. He's so funny with how he talks about Wickham. Because Wickham's the fucking worst. We fucking hate Wickham, but he always jokes about it now. He's like, ah, Wickham, that guy, love him. Well, he's stuck with Wickham, and now he's basically just like, fuck that guy, but I'm, I'm related to him, so all I'm going to do is just shit on him. It's all I have to do. That brings us to chapter 18. Lizzie is feeling cute 
And this this chapter is just cute in general. This chapter really just is a culmination of the whole love story. Yeah, it's very sweet. She asks Darcy what made him fall in love with her in the first place. And he says he doesn't remember when he started loving her. He was in the middle before he knew he had begun. And she says it couldn't have been her looks. (laughs) which is a callback to that first moment. And her behavior to him has always been cruel. And so she says, be sincere. Did you admire me for my impertinence? Yes. (laughs) Yes. The answer is absolutely Absolutely. He says, for your liveliness of mind. And she says, the fact is, you were sick of civility, of deference, of officious attention. You were disgusted with the women who were always speaking and looking and thinking for your approbation alone. I roused and interested you because I was so unlike them. Which is... Like, putting the words in his mouth. Yeah, it's exactly that. The idea is that Darcy has been sucked up to his entire life as a result of the fact that he is a good-looking, single, rich man. It is a truth universally acknowledged that a that single, single man, man in possession, possession of a good, good fortune, fortune must be in want of a wife. And so all the women were trying to be his wife, and Lizzie was so clearly not that he just got to sort of learn a little bit about himself, be taken aback by her, and get treated like a person by her. And also that she translated as a normal human being. And on the side of that, Lizzie is hot, Lizzie is intelligent, and Lizzie is sarcastic AF. And Darcy's just too overly involved in his own uh, loins to have noticed that his heart fell to. That's true. Also, yeah, he's just so awkward. (laughs) She says it's perfectly reasonable that he would have fallen for her like that. And she says, to be sure, you know no actual good of me, but nobody thinks of that when they fall in love, which is so true. You fall in love with who you fall in love with, whether or not they are nice to you. I mean, she fell in love with him. Yeah, I I do think that people being nice to you has something to do with you falling in love with them. It helps. But, you know, you don't actually, like, enumerate someone's good deeds. I've tried that too many times. Like, if there's a nice person and I'm like, well you know, everything is going great and all of the dates are really nice. But like, if there's no spark, there's no spark. Yeah, and here the spark clearly comes from her insulting him. Yeah. He says there was good in her affectionate behavior towards Jane when Jane was sick at Netherfield. And Lizzie says, yeah, but you can't not be good to Jane. It's Jane. And then she says, but his job, Darcy's job, is now to exaggerate her good qualities, so she'll take it. And her job is to find as many opportunities to tease him and quarrel with him as possible. She's, like, trying to build up his resistance to her teasing. Like, that's her goal. It's exactly like what Mrs. Gardner had written in her letter. She was like, well, the only thing that Darcy really lacks is a sense of humor. But if he marries prudently, his wife will help with that. And that's what she's doing. She is training him to be more fun. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Then, this is the best, she asks why he called on her and why he acted so aloof when he came. And then he says, because you were grave and silent and gave me no encouragement. And then she says, but I was embarrassed. And he says, and so was I. They are disasters. They are such human disasters. They just, all they needed to do was say how they felt out loud to each other. And they didn't. And all they could do was just uncomfortably stare at each other. Two people who are so good Well, no, Lizzie is so good in other social situations. Darcy's just an all-around disaster. He can write good. He can write words good. He does the good word right, but that's not how you get someone to fall in love with you. So Lizzie then wonders if he would have said anything when they were walking had she not brought up Lydia and Wickham that time when they were walking together, the last chapter. And he says, don't worry, Lady Catherine's efforts to separate Lizzie and Darcy had removed all doubts of her in his mind and he was determined. You know what I love the most about this story? What? Is that somehow Lady Catherine de Bourgh is the focal point for the fact that the main couple gets together in the end. I know. Because she has no sense of, um, what's it called? Like, social awareness. Like, yeah, she yeah. didn't realize that she was telling him that Lizzie likes him. Basically, from, like, day one, what we first heard of Catherine de Bourgh was from Collins, who knows her more as Catherine de Bourgh. And she was just this sort of outside-the-story figure. You find out she's connected to Darcy. You learn about his past through Catherine de Bourgh mm-hmm. and, like, her presence in the story. And then, as the story goes on, you learn of her as this big obstacle between Lizzie and Darcy, but the truth of the matter is that Lizzie and Darcy get together because Catherine de Bourgh got involved. And Lizzie says, Lady Catherine has been of infinite use, which ought to make her happy, for she loves to be of use. Good on you, Catherine. You've got two happy people together. Let's pour one out for Lady Catherine. Yes. 
Then she asks if he came to Netherfield, or to, well, to Netherfield, to Longbourn, whatever, solely to propose. And he says his real purpose was definitely to see if he could ever hope to make Lizzie love him. But what his public purpose and what he tried to tell himself he was there for was to see whether Jane still loved Bingley. And if so, to reveal to Bingley what he did to meddle and why he was wrong. And Lizzie asks if he's going to tell Lady Catherine de Bourgh what's it happened and he says he'll write a letter to lady catherine right now and lizzie says and if i had not a letter to write myself i might sit by you and admire the evenness of your writing as another lady once did she's referring to caroline being like oh my god you're such a good writer get your hand and that did not work savage lizzie is savage i love the dig at caroline who is i think of everyone lost so profoundly in this book yeah Where is she? Just upset because her brother married the girl she didn't want her brother to marry. And Lizzie stole the mans she wanted. And so she's just kind of stuck. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Don't feel bad for her, though. I don't. I don't feel bad for her. She sucks so hard. Then Lizzie goes to write a letter to Mrs. Gardiner because she has yet to reply to that letter that started all of this. And she tells her she was right the whole time. She thanks her for not going to the lakes. She was like, how silly was I to want to go to the lakes? And she tells her that the ponies she requested in her last letter sound great and they'll go around the park every day. And she says, I am happier even than Jane. She only smiles. I laugh. Mr. Darcy sends you all the love in the world that can be spared from me. This is just, it's just such a happy, happy ending. She only smiles. I laugh. Beautiful. Also, Lizzie, you don't have to compare your happiness to Jane. You, you can don't. both be happy. That's true. You both found men who work for you. Yeah, like honestly, there could not be a more perfect man for Jane than Bingley. Oh my god, their double dates are great because it's going to be Lizzie and Bingley excitedly shooting the shit while Jane and Darcy quietly sit there and just admire their significant others. Yes, and then and then everyone can make fun of Darcy together. Except Jane, who will be like, now, now, guys. Let's calm down. Oh my god, I love it so much. They're double I love the idea that Lizzie and Bingley go off and like play cards and joke together and then Darcy and Jane sit there and quietly read together like, oh, it's nice. We can be buddies too. Oh my god, yeah. I hope there's fan fictions about that. <laughs> Listeners, send us some fan fiction of this. This is like the wholesome content we crave right now. Yeah, we just want everyone hanging out at Pemberley. Yeah. Anyway, wow, I feel so bad for like my future self editing this because I edit out a lot of like... M- deep breathing and all I'm doing in this episode is being like <laughs> last episode you, there was a lot of ee. yeah there's a lot of squealing now I'm just <sighs> sighing also speaking of letters daddy Bennett sends a letter to Collins and I just wrote read it because it's like four lines I'll read it dear sir I must trouble you once more for congratulations Elizabeth will soon be the wife of Mr. Darcy console Lady Catherine as well you can but if I were you I would stand by the nephew he has more to give that is like in its own way a little wrap-up of a plot in a satisfactory manner uh-huh because first of all as i said last time with jingley the bennets are not destitute anymore because one of their daughters is marrying well now another one of their daughters is marrying in an even better fashion and so mr collins really isn't taking so much from them anymore yeah and he says stand by the nephew because he was like trash talking was he trash talking darcy or he was just like don't marry lizzie he was basically saying you shouldn't you shouldn't taint darcy like this with yeah. your family and so now he's saying you can stick by him anyway he's got a lot of money you're such a suck up i know you want to be his friend <laughs> oh yeah anyway also i apologize for my like half bad british accent that was there like it was not i wasn't intending to be british but i liked that you went for the first time since we started reading this book you just went mr darcy mr darcy mr darcy ah uh, mr darcy anyway he's so good caroline gets all fake and gross and is congratulating jane and jane isn't really deceived but she sends a nice letter back because jane is jane and georgie sends a letter and georgie is thrilled she sends like a, a four-page letter of congratulations and how excited she is that Lizzie's going to be her sister. Charlotte and Collins are coming to Lucas Lodge to get away from Lady Catherine because she had been, quote, rendered so exceedingly angry by the contents of her nephew's letter that Charlotte, really rejoicing at the match, was anxious to get away till the storm was blown over. I love that Charlotte's like, I'm not taking in any of this negativity. Nope. Go my best friend. She deserves it. Yeah, she's like, I want to see a wedding and I'm not going <laughs> to... Exactly. Oh, I love Charlotte. You, you know what it's like? It's like that meme 
of Brooklyn Nine-Nine where Gina is like listening to her headphones while there's a fight behind her. And it's like Lady Catherine de Bourgh and her emotions. Charlotte celebrating for Lizzie. Oh, we should make that. Lizzie is thrilled to see Charlotte, but anxious to watch Darcy have to hang out with Mr. Collins. But Darcy is perfect and composed and calm. And even when Sir William Lucas comes over, he doesn't roll his eyes or shrug his shoulders until William Lucas is not looking. He's just a good boy all around. (laughs) Mrs. Phillips comes as well, and she's a bit much, but similar to Mrs. Bennet, she gets really quiet around him out of respect for his money. But when she does speak, it's still vulgar because it's Mrs. Phillips. And so Lizzie and Darcy are both like, ah, this was fun. Bye. Yeah, they basically are just thinking about the times when they can get away from this whole family and go hang out at Pemberley with Georgie. They're so hyped. They're so hyped to be hermits together. Hello, it's Molly from the future hopping in to tell you about a new season of one of my absolute favorite podcasts. Hot and Bothered, hosted by returning Pod and Prejudice guest Vanessa Zoltan, is a podcast that treats romance as sacred. You've probably all already heard of this podcast because in their fourth season, they covered Pride and Prejudice. And now Hot and Bothered is back with a season that is all about romantic films. The first 10 episodes of this new season follow Vanessa as she learns how to critically watch movies by looking closely at the classic 2003 rom-com How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. After 10 episodes, Vanessa will be joined by her co-host, Hannah McGregor, a media studies scholar, author, and podcaster. And together, they'll look at romantic films from Casablanca to Love and Basketball to When Harry Met Sally. The show is already so fun after just listening to one episode, and I cannot wait to listen to the rest of the season. So subscribe to Hot and Bothered wherever you get your podcasts to jump into this new season that's all about romantic films, or to enjoy their previous seasons about Pride and Prejudice, Jane Eyre, and a personal favorite, Twilight. Again, that's Hot and Bothered, and it can be found wherever you get your podcasts. Also, this August, Vanessa is leading a pilgrimage to Bath for a five-day trip dedicated to Northanger Abbey. Now, I don't know anything about Northanger Abbey, but even I want to go on this trip. Together, you and 20 other Austinites are delving into the story of Catherine Moreland while immersed in a gorgeous city that features heavily in Austin's life and writing, as you know. So if you enjoy contemplative hikes, immersion in a new city, time away from your regular life, and the chance to talk about Austin with fans from all over the world, which I know all of you do, then this trip is for you. So check out Common Ground Pilgrimages at readingandwalkingwith.com. To claim your spot on the Northanger Abbey trip, head to readingandwalkingwith.com slash northanger-abbey-2024. And now back to this episode. And, you know, that brings us to chapter 19, which is essentially the epilogue, the where are they now of the book. Mm -hmm. So we start off with some first person narrator. Did you catch that? Yeah. Here, you want to read that out loud? Yeah, I wrote it as a quote. So Mrs. Bennett's really proud to have finally married off her two daughters. We get some nice book ending of the beginning where she's like talking about wanting to marry off her daughters and now where she has done so. This story could be sold as the success of Mrs. Bennett. Yeah, that could be the title. She married off three of five daughters during the course of this whole book. That one of them was not a very advantageous match, obviously. Yeah, and that was like unintentional. But the other two, like... Good fine. Very well done. Yeah. And the narrator says, I wish I could say for the sake of her family that finally getting what she wanted made her sensible, amiable, well-informed woman, but she is still often nervous and silly. This first person narrator, is this Jane Austen speaking to us from her rocking chair? It is indeed. Is this the first time we've gotten first person? I believe so. I believe now that the story's finished, we've had a couple moments where it's been like, and now it's the next day. Or something like that. Yeah, but that's normal for a book. It's not really normal to switch from like third person omniscient to first person. Yes, but here we are. It's Jane Austen, so it's okay. She gets away with it. It was, I mean, it's kind of like, so she's been sitting in the corner on her rocking chair the whole time and now she's closed the book and she says, I bet you're wondering where these characters are now. Well, I sat down with them and I can tell you it's like when you're watching Tiger King and then it says next episode and then it turns out that it's just the guy who made it and he's like, I got permission to chat with all of these people to find out where they are now. That's what's happening here. It's like the the last episode of The Office bit, DVD extras. Exactly. Mr. Bennett visits Pemberley a lot. Because he misses Lizzie. He misses Lizzie and because 
Mrs. Bennett is still a bit much. Actually, I liked what it said about um, it's kind of good for Mr. Bennett that Mrs. Bennett is still the nervous, silly woman that she was because he might not have derived so much happiness from traditional domesticity, which is true. He likes to be entertained by his wife. I think that's maybe Jane Austen's acknowledgement that at the end of the day, the Bennetts in their own way are well matched. Yeah. Because Daddy Bennett likes to shit on Mrs. Bennett and Mrs. Bennett likes to flit around him and be nervous. Daddy Bennett can be a little cruel and Mrs. Bennett can be a little stupid, but together they sort of balance each other out and I think have all in all a good life together. Yeah. I mean, in the beginning I was like, their marriage is kind of hot and I stand by that. So Jane and Bingley, they only stay at Netherfield for a year because the Bennets are a bit much even for Bingley's kind, sensible nature. They end up moving closer to Pemberley so they can be with Lizzie and Darcy and that is great. Kitty spends most of her time out staying with her sisters and without Lydia as an influence, she slowly becomes less irritable, ignorant, and insipid. The three eyes as I have termed them and I had to look up insipid. It means lacking vigor or interest. So basically she develops her own personality. We stand. We stand Liddy getting uh, a little bit more mature. Did you just call her Liddy? You see, you, you just see called her, her Liddy. Out- what? You called her Liddy. Oh, we stand Kitty getting more mature. Lydia, as you can see, has not. Nope. She invites her over for balls a bunch. Lydia does, but her dad never lets her go. I don't know if you have ever like been in a circumstance where you have realized someone you hung out with was not the best and... They keep being like, oh, let's go do this really damaging thing. And you're like, oh, I'm actually like good. If you want to come over and like drink tea, that's cool too. Mm-hmm. Like trying to slowly wean them off of their ways. And it also specifically says here that Jane and Lizzie are the ones influencing Kitty to be better. Yeah. So you get the sense that like in another life, Kitty is living out a nice advantageous love story with some other guy. I fucking love Kitty. I do. The best developed character in Pride and Prejudice is Kitty. She had some growth. 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 All right. Next, Mary. Mary remains at Longbourn only to keep her mom company, but now that her mom isn't constantly comparing her to her elder sisters, she doesn't mind that much. I just want to highlight this one line. Mary was obliged to mix more with the world, but she could still moralize over every morning visit. And she was no longer mortified by comparisons between her sister's beauty and her own. So Mary is like living her best life, getting a little bit better at like coming out of her shell. She maybe went to a ball or two. Yeah, maybe she she finds herself a nice lady down the line. I really hope so. Justice for Mary. Put her in Williamsburg in 2018, please. Yes. Wickham and Lydia hope that perhaps Darcy might still help them out. And by Wickham and Lydia, I mean mainly Wickham hopes and Lydia believes everything that Wickham says. And she writes to Lizzie asking for money. But she wraps it up by saying, you know, uh, if you would rather not do this, like, don't even bother asking Darcy. Does Lydia, Lydia still doesn't know about Wickham being the worst? Lydia does not know that Wickham was paid to marry her, I don't think. I feel like that's the sort of thing that one might want to tell her if one was Darcy, for example. I mean, yeah, but it's a hard thing to tell someone, hey, your husband only married you because someone paid him to do so. Yeah, I guess especially if you don't want to break up that marriage. But I kind of also wish that Lizzie or Jane talked to her about the fact that he's a predator. Again, all counterproductive to keeping the marriage together. Yes, and as you can see from the way that this last piece breaks down this marriage is an obviously unhappy one yeah they are poor continuously and i think it says here that both jane and lizzie pay out of their own dowries to lydia yes yeah and even after the war stops or whatever was going on that needed a militia and they stopped moving around so much they still are spending more than they make and all of that so they still need help from lizzie and jane and then they stop being in love or rather their affections for each other wear off they stop having sex they stop having sex. that's what's happened that's yeah that would be a what's it called when you make a nice word for something that's a little bit grody an innuendo um the opposite of an innuendo um an aphorism nope hang on nice word for something bad well one thing i do want to make clear here is in this little epilogue you see how these decisions these women were making about marriage really did affect their long-term happiness yes and you see that in lydia's story versus lizzie's story jane's story and even charlotte's 
story. Like, Charlotte's marriage is a better one than Lydia's, even though that Lydia's was based on more of her feelings than Charlotte's was. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Euphemism. 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 And then yes to all of what what you said. (laughs) It's just, I, I just wanted to highlight that this story really does point out what happens when you're foolish in your choice of love. Because even though Jane and Lizzie married for love, they both also married for money as well. Right. Which is just convenient, though. It's just convenient. Imagine if they were poor. Oh, imagine. Imagine if that were the case. Hmm. Is there another book where that happens? This is one of the most constant through lines through Austin's work. And that's why we started the book with this. And that's why we're finishing the book with this. Is that marriage is inextricable from money at this point in women's lives. And so, yes, a lot of these stories are about love. And in that way, they are revolutionary for the time period. But Jane Austen doesn't sugarcoat the fact that marrying for love exclusively was impossible for women at that time. You did have to marry someone who was wealthy. And I think the way to look at this story is not that... You could look at it two ways. There's the convenience Jane Austen has put up of having two heroines fall in love with two very nice men who just happen to have a ton of money. How convenient. Mm -hmm. Or you could look at it as Jane and Lizzie are both keenly aware of how they have to marry, but refuse to solely marry for that. Yeah. And that they acknowledge that they want more out of a marriage than just the money but the money is something they absolutely need from it as well yeah and you see Lydia as the marker for what happens when you don't have that and you marry for the chemistry you'll see this theme revisited through tons of Austin books so just keep it in mind as we read her work it's something to talk about it's something important speaking of Lydia they are never allowed to stay at Pemberley Lydia and Wickham because Darcy can't be around him but they do often stay with Jane and Bingley basically doing exactly what Daddy Bennett said would happen with Jane and Bingley which was they would be too charitable and Lydia and Wickham stay there for too long too often and even so much so that sometimes Bingley goes so far as to talk of giving them a hint to be gone never actually giving them a hint never actually telling them to leave I just love the idea of these two non-confrontational people in a relationship being like how do we get them to leave maybe did are are you hoping maybe that they, they may think about leaving soon? I, I'm actually hoping that too. Yeah, they like this is their like bedtime talk. <laughs> yeah. Caroline is mortified by Darcy's marriage, but she pretends like she has no resentment whatsoever because she wants to continue being able to visit Pemberley on brand. Yeah, she likes Georgie. I, I Props to Caroline for taking the rejection with a morsel of grace. A morsel. But a mini chip. also this is her saving some real face. What? I said a mini chip, like the different kinds of chocolate chips, morsels, mini chips. I went grocery shopping yesterday. Exactly. Like the, the tiniest amount of grace. She accepts defeat, but now she can't shit talk Lizzie anymore because now Lizzie is Mrs. Darcy. Exactly. Haha. Georgie lives with them at Pemberley and she has the highest opinion of Lizzie, but this was my favorite part. She is shocked to see Lizzie's lively, sportive manner of talking to Darcy. Quote, he who had always inspired in herself a respect which almost overcame her affection, she now saw the object of open pleasantry. Lizzie teaches her that a woman may take liberties with her husband, which may not be allowed for a little sister. Basically, what we were talking about before, she's training Darcy to be more fun and light and like just lighten up. And Georgie is also learning from that, that she can lighten up too. Yeah, and Georgie's learning a little bit of freedom from the expectations put upon her but in a way that's good for her and sharpens her mind as opposed to Wickham, who is bad for her. Yes, indeed. Lady Catherine was a dick when she found out, and so for a while they just didn't even talk to her at all. But eventually, for some reason, Lizzie wants to forgive her and welcome her back into their home. And at first, Lady Catherine doesn't want to, but she eventually gives in either because of her love for Darcy or her curiosity about Lizzie and she comes to visit despite the pollution that Pemberley has undergone by Lizzie and her aunt and her uncle. Speaking of her aunt and her uncle, the gardeners are basically Lizzie and Darcy's best friends and they visit all the time and Lizzie and Darcy especially love them for being the people who by bringing Lizzie into Derbyshire had been the means of uniting them. And they all lived happily ever after. (laughs) 
And that brings us to Becca's final Pride and Prejudice study questions. Woohoo! So first of all, Ram, we're going to need some congratulatory Molly finished the book music. Put it right here. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I hope yeah. it's pop and circumstance. Woo! <laughs> pop it out. Cool. That's good. <laughs> Graham, stop the music. Cut it. Cut it now. Cut it. Okay. <laughs> so now we have some study questions. And because we finished the book, I want to tie the study questions to the whole book. Because you finished it, girl. I did it. Okay. My first question for you was, why do you think this is one of the most enduring love stories of all time? It is relatable as all heck. Yes. I mean, these characters were written in the 1800s and... Their problems are the same as the problems that we have today, give or take some wealth, because, you know. They got money. It's just, I don't know, like reading it today, I wasn't expecting to relate so hard to these characters, and like I thought it was going to be in words that were hard to understand, and granted I did have to look up a lot of words, but I wasn't expecting it to be so, the concept to be so basic, which is, there was a misunderstanding, and... Now we hate each other when really we should be in love because we're very compatible. And that kind of relates to my second question is why does this book resonate today? And I think you touched on that in that it's really just highlighting simple human emotion. Not that the emotions they feel are simple, but they haven't changed. No. What it feels like to fall in love hasn't changed. What it feels like to be confused by someone's behavior towards you because sticky feelings are involved and hard and complicated feelings and thoughts are involved that is all the same as it was in regency era england yeah i mean and that is wild we have evolved as a species but this is the same it's the same it's also like these questions are very intertwined because the fact that it's the same in england in the 1800s america in the 2000s And probably in just like all humans, it's just the same. It's like love is the same no matter what the situation that it's in is. And other things around that situation may change, like the time period, the country, whatever. That all might change the the amount of wealth that you have. But the feelings are the same. And what she wrote here were the feelings. And she writes them better than almost anyone has in history, which is awesome. (laughs) Going on this, let's talk about those feelings themselves. I want to talk about how Jane Austen characterizes love, how she created such an authentic bond between Lizzie and Darcy, and why it's so real. What in their bond is so real? Um, that it's awkward (laughs) and. And messy and confusing and that they don't talk about it ever (laughs) until the end. I also think there are pieces of it that are like you could get more specific with it. The fact that Darcy fell for Lizzie because she was the only one who would be honest with him about his faults. Yes. The fact that Lizzie was flattered by Wickham and hurt by Darcy and that led her to feel a certain way about each of them for so long. When Lizzie is falling for Darcy, the fact that she realizes she can never have him, makes her understand for the first time that she is in love with him. Yeah, also the fact that it takes her by a complete surprise when she figures it out for the first time, it's like face slap. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Even like things as simple as her going to Pemberley and thinking to herself, oh my God, he's somewhere around here. Yeah, the butterflies that Jane Austen describes, she describes them so well, like looking around like, when is he going to come into the room? When he comes into the room, not knowing what to say, only wanting to talk to him, only being able to focus on where he is in the room. It's so real. Yeah. It's just such an authentic portrayal of love, which is why I think Mr. Darcy is one of the most beloved heartthrobs of all time. And rereading this book is hilarious for me because it reminded me that Darcy is so bad at flirting and courtship for how big of a heartthrob he is. He's so stupid. He's so dumb. Okay, I want to bring this up because I think this is important to say. How has this book aged poorly? Because overall, it is known universally as something that has withstood the test of time, but I think certain elements of it haven't, and I wanted you to speak to that. The thing that I think has come up the most for you and me and 
in our discussions in this podcast and what our listeners have responded to is the patriarchy, the patriarchal norms that are present in this book that today would be super frowned upon, mainly persisting in Mr. Bennett being the way that he is. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, And in Mrs. Bennett being characterized as this like crazy, over-the-top, too-emotional woman. Those are both, I think, maybe in a modern-day adaptation would be dialed back a little bit. Hopefully. Hopefully. Though, I do believe that Mrs. Bennett is probably going to be the most fun on screen as a character. I just cannot wait. She's, ah! Cannot confirm or deny that. Yeah. And, I mean, I know that money is important, but I think that it's much more widely accepted to marry for love now. I sure hope. I mean, that is absolutely true. I do think that I agree with everything you've said. I think for me that the piece that has aged the worst for me has been Lydia. Oh, yeah. And what happens I forgot about that. Yep, let's talk about that. I think patriarchally, the way in which she is, quote, slut-shamed or whatever, but also, like, the characterization of a 15-year-old girl being at fault for having urges and being at fault for being okay with her sexuality is something that bothers me about Pride and Prejudice more than most other things. I also think that class is something that hasn't aged well in the book because Jane Austen is way ahead of her time both on gender and class. But I do think that the sort of villainization of Wickham as the gold digging person who seeks to ascend his class might be construed as problematic, even though Wickham himself sucks. He does. You know he what sucks I mean? as a person, but they do focus a lot on the fact that he's poor. Yeah. And about Lydia, too, I think we have talked about her as like, a feminist icon in a way and I think that the thing is that the book doesn't talk about her that way without giving too much away there is one adaptation of this story that I have seen that I think handles the Lydia plotline in a way that I think is much more cohesive with our 21st century understanding of Lydia nice that is all I will say and I will not tell you which adaptation it is okay but that is all I will say about it <laughs> oh my god I so, cannot wait to watch these fucking movies oh yeah and we're gonna comment on it it's gonna be great I love movies like, oh, so much. We're going to have so much fun reviewing the movies for you guys. And we have so much planned for it. You're going to love it. I'm so excited to share that with you guys. And then the last thing I'll say is that obviously there's an acknowledgement that Jane Austen was a white woman of a certain class in England in a time period when England was not kind to people of color in its colonies. And I think that Jane Austen does not touch on that much in this book. She does in some of her other work. And I will not tell you when or where that happens because we will talk about it. But I just think that it's worth noting that this is obviously a part of privileged English society, even if the women are oppressed. Yes. All right. Cool. Important to critique our favorite authors, even if they're as iconic as Jane Austen. Then I want to turn to your opinions. Now we've talked about sort of like the the more scholarly things about the book. I want to talk about how you feel about it. So first, what was your favorite part? (laughs) Oh, man. Um, honestly, I think my favorite chunk has to probably be after Lizzie has figured out that she doesn't hate Darcy, but before they admit it to each other that they're in love. So like most of the third part, the third volume, where the tension is high and I never wanted the tension to end and I was kind of not looking forward to them telling each other how they felt because I wanted them to keep like walking circles around each other. Uh, you, but you were like, dumb idiots, kiss. Yeah. I really wanted them to kiss. What's your least favorite part of this book? Wait, my favorite part was at Pemberley. In addition to everything that I said about my favorite part, that trunk at Pemberley was hot. My least favorite part was probably... See, here's the thing. Thinking back, the third volume is like the part that's the most in my brain right now, but there was so much that happened before that. So I should probably share mine too. My favorite part of the book is the first proposal. I think it's one of the best written scenes of all time. The first proposal as in Collins? Proposal get in. Oh, okay. Because Collins was the first proposal. I do also love the Collins proposal because that thing is an absolute disaster. It's so funny. Yeah. And my least favorite part of the book is the sort of chunk after Bingley leaves and before Lizzie goes to visit Charlotte. Just because not a lot happens. Yeah, I think that the thing is that the parts where not a lot happens definitely haven't really sunk into my brain yet fully. Only having read this book once. But I'll have a better idea of those, like, post-film adaptations but the parts of which I remember that I was like annoyed about I was but the thing is I liked it all but I think that perhaps um oh my god and the part where Lizzie goes to visit Charlotte and then Darcy is there (laughs) 
Yeah, remember Fitzy? Yeah, oh my god, Fitzy. Yeah, okay, so my least favorite part's probably this chunk at the end where Lady Catherine is annoying. Didn't like that a lot. All right, but the, but legit. I like to, I ha- I'll, I'll think of least favorite parts. I want to be more critical. No, 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 it's okay. okay. You can say you genuinely liked this book. I did, I liked the book. Yeah. Yeah. All right, favorite character? That's hard. I know. Favorite characters? Okay. Lizzie, Darcy, Georgie, Daddy Bennett. Stellar list. Least favorites? Wickham, Lady Catherine, Anne. Not that it's any fault of hers. She's but... just sick. She doesn't really have a personality. Yeah, poor thing. And I also want to pour one out for my girl Mary. For all of the Bennett girls, honestly, pour one out. Love them. Like as favorites or least favorites? They're like good, good eggs. Yeah. I even, now that we're done with the book, Mrs. Bennett, honestly, like... As chaotic as she is, I think she's chaotic good, and I would put her up there with Daddy Bennett. I would agree. I would agree. But Wickham sucks. I would say my favorite, outside of Lizzie and Darcy, who I think are some of the best written characters of all time. <gasps> Bingley! I forgot about Bingley. I was going to say Charles really has a special place in my heart. I love him. As, uh, as a puppy dog. Yeah, I love him so Bless much. Bless him. Oh, his sweet little face. Yep. And I also I also have a soft spot for uh, old Janie. Jane is, honestly, like, Jane is good. She is a good person but I wouldn't put her on my list of favorite characters because I feel a little bit bored by her that is very fair a very valid critique and my least favorite character uh other than Wickham is probably uh Caroline oh I forgot about her oh she fucking sucks yeah okay I forgot I I really don't like her and I also would like to pour one out on the negative side for Louisa and Mr. Hurst Yep. Because they literally serve zero purpose other than just to suck. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Then the last question I want to talk about before we get to our standbys, our last standbys for the book is I want to talk about the title now that you finished the book. Yeah. I was talking about this with my mom the other day because I think at the point of recording the episode where I found out that First Impressions was the original title had just dropped like last week or the the week before or whatever and she was like that's a much better title and I was like um I don't know if I agree with that though I do wonder about the decision I know Pride and Prejudice is more spills off the tongue rather than First Impressions and maybe maybe I don't know maybe she started writing Sense and Sensibility and was like maybe I'll do a series (laughs) (laughs) yeah Sense and Sensibilities was her uh first published work so oh interesting well, like, I get why it's called Pride and Prejudice, but I do honestly, I think that First Impressions still would have fit. The title centers the characters that we want to be the center of the story, right? And First Impressions, as you explained it, contrasted First Impressions of Darcy and First Impressions of Wickham and First Impressions of Lizzie from Darcy, etc., etc. Whereas Pride and Prejudice specifically centers Darcy's pride and Lizzie's prejudice against each other. And also Lizzie's pride and Darcy's prejudice. It could go either way. Yeah, I think the the, the cool thing about the title is that this is a love story. <gasps> what? I know that's shocking. <laughs> but the the two things that are the driving reasons why these two idiots don't get together in the first chapter of this book are pride and prejudice. And through the entire book... Those two things define these two people until they find ways to lessen these flaws within themselves and learn that they actually are meant to be together. Yeah. So I actually really like this title because I think it does capture the fact that these two foolish tendencies, these two foolish human tendencies can really blind you to the amazing people around you. It's very apt, actually. Now that you're saying it like that, first impressions is kind of leaving it up to the reader to decide what that means and what a first impression does, blah, blah, blah. Whereas Pride and Prejudice takes a stance on what the first impressions were and what those first instincts were. So I like the title. This is why I'm becoming a lawyer, guys. I can advocate for <laughs> for anything uh okay (laughs) that brings us to our standbys funniest quote there were so many options this week because daddy bennett was on fucking fire but this one gives daddy bennett his final joy i admire all my three son-in-laws highly said he wickham perhaps is my favorite but i think i shall like your husband quite as well as james (laughs) great choice questions moving forward in the austin canon well Gosh, I'm so excited to watch these films. And my questions are more uh, for myself, 
I guess, like, who will win, Kira Knightley or Colin Firth? I am very excited <laughs> to answer that question as well. I also will talk about this in our next episode where we talk about something that's not the book, but I'm interested to see how these characters are portrayed and, like, especially in the more modern ones, because sometimes antiquated language can be really hard to translate into something tangible and graspable on screen, though I think that Jane Austen really does a good job of writing the words good. But I'm interested to see, like, do they stick to this or do they stray to make it more accessible to modern brains? An excellent question. And then who wins the book? Lizzie Bennet. I agree wholeheartedly. Lizzie Bennet wins this book. What a good egg. She's so good. Such a good egg. I love her. All right, listeners, not only does that conclude this episode of Pod and Prejudice, but that concludes our discussion of the book Pride and Prejudice. Join us next time because that is by no means the end of the Pride and Prejudice content that Molly and I are going to be reviewing. There's so much. And as we go forward with this podcast, there's so much else that Jane Austen wrote as well that we're so hyped to read. So until next time, stay proper. Find yourself a husband. Okay. Okay. Pod and Prejudice is edited by Molly Burdick and audio produced by Graham Cook. Our beautiful show art is designed by Torrance Brown. To learn more about our show and our team, you can check out our website at podandprejudice.com. To keep up with the show, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Pod and Prejudice. If you like what you hear, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash podandprejudice to see how you can support us or just drop us a rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening.